Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today I have a delightful conversation with two legends, two icons of the world of triathlon and Ironman racing. Mr. Dave Scott and Mr. Mark Allen are on the show together. And in this episode, we we go through the professional triathlon organization. We talk about the Collins Cup. We talk about Kona Ironman and what, what we should do about it with it being canceled or postponed. And then we finish with some really fun rapid fire questions. Now, a little bit of housekeeping before we go on. Uh, firstly, thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying the show, you'd be doing me a huge favor if you'd be willing to share it on your social platforms and or you can support the show by supporting the show's partners, Athletic Brewing, Athletic Greens, Hyperice, and Form Smart Swim Goggles. They're just all great companies with really fantastic products. You can't go wrong with them. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. A quick mention of the show's partners. These are all great companies and products that I use daily. If you want to support the show, you'd be doing me a massive favor by supporting these brands. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Brewing. Anyone will tell you that I'm someone who loves to have a beer and there's always a beer in the fridge for me and or guests that pop in. But with kids, my work and just my overall health, I, I, I can't and I don't drink often. I can't afford to not be on my game and, and I simply don't like the foggy feeling I get by drinking alcohol. So I've tried non-alcoholic beers, but I guess I'm a bit of a beer snob because none of them have measured up to a real craft beer experience that I like. But now with Athletic Brewing, I can have a high quality, just flavorful and award-winning craft beer. And it's only 50 to 70 calories per can. And these beers just, they fit into any occasion. So I don't have to compromise on my social life or choose between having a great beer and, and just keeping my clarity. So go ahead and check them out at athleticbrewing.com. That's athleticbrewing.com. Or you can find them at your local liquor store or bottle shop. Um, and I'll let you know, I'll be having one every single episode I record. They're, they're that good. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice. Hyperice is my go-to solution for recovery and restoration. The handheld percussion therapy devices, the Normatec boots and the vibrating rollers all release your deepest muscle tension and just aid your recovery. I own the Hypervolt Plus, I own the Hypervolt Go, the Normatec boots, and the vibrating rollers. And both my wife, Laura, and I use them every day before and after workouts and before bed. They're all just so easy to use at home. They're, they're quiet, easy to charge, and have ready at any time. I encourage you to look after your body. Honestly, it's the only thing you get to keep for all of your life. All these Hyperize products are just simply brilliant. Get 10% off all high-priced products using the exclusive Greg Bennett Show code GREG21 at checkout. Go to hyperice.com, that's hyperice.com, H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com, and use code GREG21 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by my longtime partner, an amazing company and brilliant product, Athletic Greens. I'm using Athletic Greens every day. Great taste, so quick and ready to go. Athletic Greens is a delicious blend of 75 superfoods and vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and a greens blend and more to support gut health, energy, and immunity and stress. I've also been doubling down on Athletic Greens vitamin D, a huge portion of the population of vitamin D deficient, myself included. And right now, Athletic Greens will give you a year's supply of vitamin D for free and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Do yourself a favor and sign up. It makes a great gift for a family member or a friend. So sign up now and get a free year of supply 
of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. This episode is brought to you by Form. In my opinion, Form Smart Swim Goggles are the biggest thing to hit the swimming world. With Form Smart Swim Goggles, you can see all your key metrics while you're swimming, your distance, your pace, stroke rate, and heart rate. The swim data is displayed on the goggle lens and you can customize the display to see the key metrics that you want to see. I couldn't believe it when I first tried them. They fit like normal, comfortable goggles and the display is there, but it's not in the way. I consciously look at the lens to see my stroke rate and my pace and my heart rate and distance. If you're a pool swimmer or an open water swimmer, I encourage you to check these goggles out. Please go to formswim.com forward slash Greg. Again, that is formswim.com forward slash Greg and get $15 off the Form Smart Swim Goggles at checkout or use code Greg2021 at checkout. All right. These days in the sport of triathlon, we love to throw around the names like Jan Fredino, Alistair Brownlee, Javier Gomez as being the greatest of all time. And obviously they're a part of that conversation. But when I rewind the clock, there are other names that start to that we really need to throw into that discussion. Simon Lessing, Scott Molino, Greg Walsh, Brad Bevan, Mike Pig. The list goes on and on. And then there are two that I look at that influence my desire to become a professional triathlete more than anybody else. And I believe they've impacted the sport more than anybody else. They've been on this show separately in episodes five and seven. And today I'm joined with both of them on the show together. And I have Dave Scott sitting with me in studio and Mark Allen calling in. So thank you and welcome to the Greg Bennett Show. Once again, Mark and Dave, how are you guys? Awesome. Great to be on, Greg. Great to uh, be on with Dave. As uh, you, you said, we both kind of did our thing years ago and hopefully that inspired a few people. And uh, so it's it's just great to see things carrying on after our illustrious careers and timely retirements. So <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of verbiage, Mark. Uh, nice to be here. Greg. We need to give Dave some coffee, Mark. He, <laughs> he's sitting across me half asleep. We had some technical difficulties getting started here and we, we used up all of Dave's good time, I feel. A <laughs> so, little bit on the lengthy bandwidth here, but uh, I'm willing to sit down for another four minutes. So let's carry on. Well, it's great to have you both. We all, we all had a, a lovely time in um, Slovakia. We all made it home, which was nice. Did you guys hear, see that quite a few got actually positive tests and couldn't get home? Yes, we heard that. And uh, I actually heard, and I'm sure Mark knows, Karen Smyers, the USA coach, huh? tested their PCR, came out positive, and, and three athletes that I know of, and Mark, you may have an extended list. Wow. I didn't realize Karen was one of them. Well, she... She had her first test, her first PCR test, you know, just to back up, um, to get back into the United States from Europe, you have to have a negative PCR test within 72 hours of your flight, mm. which um, even if you've been vaccinated, going over, all we had to do was show a vaccination card or a negative PCR test. Coming back, doesn't matter what you've done with the vaccination, you still had to get the negative PCR. So the race organizers had a mobile testing unit come into the Collins Cup the day prior to the race. And any athletes who needed to get tested to get back to their respective countries was given a test. Karen's result came back. Uh, the word that they used was questionable. And so she had she got that result late in the day of the Collins Cup. Um, so that evening, she had to quarantine in her room. They gave her another test 
and that test came back negative. So she was uh-huh. she was cleared and good to go. So fortunately for her, she did not. She was not one of the ones who was held over for uh, a lovely um, all-expense-paid oh. vacation in Slovakia. No, I was talking to Ben Knut on, uh, was it two days ago? And he said, I just got the, the negative test. And and I guess the way he was describing it, they, they rank it from zero to 40 or whatever, and zero being the worst. And he said himself, um, I think I think he said Paula Finley's parents, or they all had, were in the 30s. And so they were on the 30s all week. They kept getting positives. Tommy Zephyrus, uh, Katie Zephyrus' husband um, and uh, photographer, and he was in the 20s. And so they all got negative tests on well, a couple of days ago after having a good week there. And uh, and I think he was still there um, waiting to get his negative test because he, he, he wasn't getting over that 40 mark. Um, so, yeah, you yeah, made it home, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two of the, you know, Ben and Sky Munch made it. Uh, they were able to, they were able to get that negative test. Mm. They were able to get a PCR test on that was negative on Friday. Right, ben, right. unfortunately, was still positive. So apparently he can't get another test for oh, Tom, another, Tommy, Tommy. Sorry. Sorry, yeah. Tommy. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He couldn't get another test for another week. And mm. so he's he's kind of stuck there unfortunately. Oh man. I, I, it's funny, you know, when we were all going over there, I had my mother-in-law sort of saying, you know, Greg, you sure you should be going? Yeah, oh, I'm fine. You know, you're kind of, and then when you're over there and you get that negative test back, you're like, phew, I can't get home. And then to hear positives, I don't know about you guys, I was kind of relieved. Yeah, I mean, to hear the rest of the story, which you just outlined, Mark, I thought, oh boy, I, it's a nice training facility. So, uh, <laughs> you know, if he's isolated there for a, a week plus plus. But I don't think he can leave his room. Well, he can't leave his room. I don't think so, right? Well, that's a real dilemma. He must have done a lot of push-ups then. Yeah. Well, no, they what they 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 quarantined them in a specific part of the hotel, and then they allowed them to actually go out and run on the track oh. at um, super off-peak hours when nobody else was on it. So they they had at least had the opportunity to. Um, oh, that's luxury quarantining, isn't it? Gee whiz. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I kind of think it'd be nice to just be home. Oh, no, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> where, where are you at the moment? Where's home for you? You're in Santa Cruz, right? I'm in beautiful Santa Cruz, California. Yeah, yes. that's right. Well, I'm sorry you're not in studio with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, It's a dreamy yeah. place. Yeah, it's a dreamy place. <laughs> well, mate, you guys have, uh, you've relieved your stories so many times, right? I mean, you guys are, do you get to the point that you're just over retelling the same stories? Oh, yes and no. I mean, some people dive way back well beyond uh, our race days. And, and there's a few hidden nuggets that pop up yeah. once in a while. When people do their investigative work or they, they draw it out of me. But uh, certainly the races, we've kind of gone over those uh, and, and not I would say in the depth, maybe some of the historians out there want to hear it, but it's probably exhaustive to most people. Mm-hmm. No. And you, Mark? You know, every now and then something comes out that um, is new. And, and a lot mm-hmm. of that is, it's actually, you know, my perspective or Dave's perspective on the race, because, you know, you, you compete and you have a performance and, in the moment, you think you understand everything that went into it and how you did it or how you didn't do it. And then over time, as you kind of reflect back, you realize that maybe what you thought was the real motivation or drive or mistake was one thing. But when you have perspective and distance and you're, you're not as emotionally attached to what happened, 
you gain a whole another view, whole other view on it. And mm. so even, you know, even like our race, our epic battle, 1989, there are still things that are, are coming to me like, oh, wait a minute. That's actually how that all transpired. <laughs> and so, you know, I think that's, that's one of the golden things that both Dave and I have seen about sport is that, yeah, it's racing, it's com- competition, it's numbers, it's all that kind of stuff. But it also provides you with this real deep insight into yourself and, and the world and how you interact with it and relate to it. And, and over time, if you reflect on your performances and your training and what you did and how you did it and maybe things that held you back in those moments that you overcame, it really becomes this rich um, uh, you know, schoolroom for life. And mm-hmm. that's what makes endurance sports, I think, so cool because it's so much more than sport. And, and, and does it feel like the older you get, the further removed from it, you were just better and better. Like the more you retell that story, do you guys go, yeah, we were rock stars. <laughs> you know, you know, that whole theory. <laughs> well, well, Mark embellishes a lot of that. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of fabrication on his. One, but, I mean, there, yeah. There are certain, certain elements in that, in that race in 89, that, you know, you go back over a year and Mark and I did this sort of 10 chapter. I remember that. Yeah. Dissertation on sort of the lead up, but it went back an entire year and, uh, you know, Mark had a terrible 88 race and I had to bow out the really the day before the race. I had a knee injury. So it was really, you know, sort of going back, well, 87, I was able to win that year and now it's now 89. So there was a long lapse of time and a lot of things happened during that time. And, uh, and for me, my first son was, born in august of 89 just a couple months prior to that race and i was so enthralled with with ryan i just said wow this is much more important than this mm. bloody race i gotta mm. do <laughs> but uh and i had a few kick in the pants by uh several people that said dave you better start training and uh, <laughs> i came back from uh, doing ironman japan and had a pretty good race in, uh, in august but uh my wife at the time on i had given birth just a few days later. So I, it was getting closer and closer to why. I just kept thinking, well, I got to watch this kid develop. Mm, it changes your perspective, doesn't it? But I also think, I mean, I always feel like a lot was made of that 1989 battle. I often feel like there was also that tremendous battle, like you referred to, just the 87 battle, you know, where you actually, you know, Dave, you overcame Mark in that one. And I like the whole bracket. Because I think when you look at those 24 months and the story, like you said, you both missed out in that. I mean, you couldn't have written a better movie script. Do you know what I mean? Both the, the, the Titans have to pull out in 88, but then they come back together in 89. And they've already had that war in 87. It really is a, a, a great little story. Do you know what I mean? You couldn't have almost scripted it better. Did you guys script it by any chance? <laughs> well, I, I didn't script the finale. But I, I could re-script that if we could do that again. I don't think either one of us could get to an Iron Man. Yeah, no, it was it was scripted, but I just didn't follow it all the way through. You know? <laughs> I'm going to change it up with a mile yeah. to go. You know, <laughs> the, best, the best part about reflecting back and the history and retelling those stories is that we can embellish as much as we want and the further it gets nobody can confirm or deny you know so <laughs> dave and i yeah we were running through town we were running like you know four 17 miles for those first 10k and, and people like no you weren't and they go, yeah we were <laughs> um, 
but no and you know it's i think it's probably like everything you you sort of forget some of the challenge and you remember the, the, the glory and it but if you really do put yourself back in that in time you realize oh wow there there were more challenges than i sort of just have mm-hmm. on the top of my memory when i think about it and as dave mentioned we we did a 10-part series of kind of back and forth um, episodes that that's on 1989thestory.com website, 1989thestory.com. And in that, we each really re- revealed that, you know, we're not automatrons, we're human beings, and we each had challenges oh, going into that. Don't ruin it for us, Mark. Don't ruin it. For, for yeah, me as a you teenage know. kid, you guys were like the gods. <laughs> yeah, well... You know, it's it's what happens at the end of the day, but of it's course. what leads up to it that actually is, I think, really inspiring. So yeah, check that yeah. out if you haven't. And it, it, I think a lot of people go like, wow, you know, I can actually, I can't relate to going a 809 or 810 or running a 240 marathon, but I can, I can relate to having a, a child that is, mm-hmm. you know, pulling me one direction and I've got these athletic goals or maybe in a different direction. How do you reconcile those two things? Mm-hmm. Well, look, Today's conversation is not actually going to be about your past so much. Um, we did that. If people want to listen to episode five or seven or go check out 999thestory.com, there's plenty there. But what I really wanted to do today is talk about the sport where it is today. Um, we all spent some time together, like we said earlier in the show, at the Collins Cup, maybe just going through that and how that's maybe impacting the sport going for, uh, further forward. And then, of course, I'm Ancona, what's going on with that or not going on. And basically anything and everything in between. Um, but before we go on, Dave, I got you a beer, mate. Should we crack it open? This is the Athletic Brewing beer that um, are partnering up with the show. And I, it's been really – sorry, Mark, I should have sent you one. You should be cracking a beer with us right now. Yeah, which I'm one, left out, man. Which, which one have you got, Dave? Well, I can't really read it, but it's, it's got a, a beautiful aqua uh, label. It says Run Wild, and that seems appropriate. So it seems really <laughs> for a beer, but what, what the heck? Not that early in the afternoon. I'm I'm drinking it upside dawn. So everybody just a little sidekick here by having a, a little brew, athletic brewing. It is non-alcoholic, so we won't get too smashed on this side, Mark. Don't worry about it. Um, anyway, let's get going. Um, Collins Cup. Actually, let's start with PTO and your guys' thoughts because a professional triathlete organization in the 30, 40 years, what is it, 50 years they've been in the sport, um, I don't know about you guys, but in the 90s, I saw these things start up, disappear. I've seen them come and go. What are your thoughts on the PTO this time around? Uh, Mark, you can take the lead. Go ahead. Um, well, uh, as you said, Greg, um, you've seen these, you've seen ideas come and go. People who've tried to organize the professional side of the sport and, and really build it up to highlight the you know the talent and the skill and the demand and the commitment that these athletes have to their to their sport none of them have stuck you know they've had shelf lives of two to three years and then everybody goes back and does their own thing this feels different um there's the pto has assembled such a uh incredible incredibly talented social media team they've really approached it from the perspective of we don't want to just highlight Jan Frodeno and Daniela Reef. We want to highlight every athlete who's in that top 50 or top 60 or whatever it is. And they have done that. You know, they they'll post stuff and they'll go, 
what about these three athletes matching up because they're all great cyclists or these are great runners and they're you know what they're doing is they're they're showing that every athlete who's a professional has a certain value and they bring something to the game and so um that along with just being at the collins cup and seeing how totally exciting that race was you know we were there dave and i were there obviously and so we don't we can't comment on broadcast quality, you know, anything like that. But well, apparently the announcers were amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we stood behind you. Yeah, I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> they were, you know, they were saying Phil Liggett and some of those other guys were good. They go, "What's Greg Bennett doing there? We don't get it." Don't get it. <laughs> okay, you can shut up now. Well, we can't hear you quite now, Mark. See you, mate. <laughs> yeah, Dave. <laughs> what do you think, mate? Well, I, I think the, what Mark said. Um, also brings out the personality of the athletes. And I think that's one big area that uh, has been a void. Hmm. Uh, we, we see the athletes, unlike tennis or golf, where you actually see their face and their slow action. Quite often there's commentary going on during, during the actual match, even snippets. But in our sport, we've got helmets on. It's difficult to tell the genders at different times. And we don't have that interaction. So what PTO has done has kind of brought the athletes to the forefront and, and has introduced them uh, individually uh, for a lot of them. And as Mark said, not just the honored Daniela. So we're starting to know Sam Long. We're starting to know some of the other athletes that mm. aren't as prominent as the world's best. And we know them uh, not only from their athletic talents, but from their character. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important because people are going to either like, dislike, or follow or not follow. But I think that's the inherent part of, uh, of anyone in sport. And, you know, we've seen it in boxing or, you know, we can go all the way back to Muhammad Ali and a lot of people didn't like him and Mike Tyson and mm-hmm. uh, John McEnroe in tennis. But they had personalities. They had so, personalities. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's a real, real plus. And, and the PTO has also selected different events. They put the prize money up and they've been very supportive of the athletes and saying that, you know, we are going to bring up the marquee of the sport in a lot of different ways. And they've said they've stayed true to form. Mm. And and do you guys, I mean, when we look at uh, the venture capital money that's come in, I mean, that's obviously been a huge booster for them, but the sustainability then or the return on investment, I mean, a venture capitalist is wanting to know, do you think that's there for them? I mean, is the sport in a place that, you know, we can see a sustainable future where big corporations are going to want to partner up and, and we'll see more money coming in, not just from venture capitalists, but actual partners and sponsors. Well, that's that's the goal of the PTO is to build it to that point. And mm. the thing that I, is very different is that it seems like there's a, a long-term vision from those supporting it financially right now. They know that you're not going to go from ground zero to... Um, having that kind of uh, draw financially from partners and investors in one year, that it's mm-hmm. going to take m- more time. And especially, you know, geez, look what happened with COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, this this race was supposed to take place 100,000 years ago, and finally it, it took place now. But um, the, and the, so that's, I think, one of the big differences between this type of uh investment in the past and and how it's being approached this time it, they know that it's going to be a number of years before things are finally built to the point where it's like oh yeah these huge companies want to get in because not only you know triathletes are going to watch this stuff great but 
the average person is like, yeah, I want to watch the Collins Cup because it's really cool. It's a it's a great format. Mm-hmm. I I want to watch it. It's like me, you know. I don't watch many of the sports that are in the Olympics, but I watch the Olympics, and that I think that's where this is going to end up. The Collins mm-hmm. Cup is going to end up as one of those type of things, along with some of the other events that they're starting to that they want to build and put in place. Mm-hmm. Dave, what yeah, do you think? I, I think we need to bring in the viewers that really don't have comprehension of the sport, mm. but will find it really provocative when they they see the dynamics of the sport and, and how we're presenting it. And so there's you know there's a couple parts to it. Greg, you, you are on the the broadcasting team. I think we we need to get that person that's on the couch that mm-hmm. maybe is a, a football addict, and they say, "Wow, this triathlon shows on. I'll just look at it for a few minutes," and we grab them. Mm-hmm. So I think the venues need to be exciting. We need to have the introduction of the athletes, which you know we both alluded to, and the you know the presentation of the races has got to be a, a race. We can't show people out in a pasture riding their bikes flat out with no people around, mm-hmm. and, and we're all familiar with. Uh, and you've raced on the grandest scale, uh, Greg. When when we have people around, and they're surrounding the athletes, it also is exciting for the viewer on TV as well. Mm-hmm. And again, I can come back to golf or tennis and they're right on top of them or, you know, in this country, it's football and, the, you know, the stadiums are crazy as of yesterday with mm. college football. But, but people like that sort of manic behavior, but it also it elicits the best response out of the athletes and, and it brings the viewer to the excitement of that race. Well, on that, it's like when we were watching the NFL games last year with the empty stadiums, you actually felt there wasn't quite the energy, right? It was kind of like, uh, just felt flat and so yeah how do we get the crowds to be on the sideline of, of events like like this one that's a three-hour event and you know do we make it multi-loops how do we get it so we have crowds around that or like the tour de france does you know they have a lot of crowds up the mountains and that kind of thing and so that's going to be a work in progress right to try and build up the on-ground audience as well yeah, and we've seen we've seen it in, you know in different uh, countries certainly seen it in australia your home country we've mm-hmm. seen it all all around europe and some of the big dynamic races there have the crowd support. And we really want to put an envelope around the athletes with that crowd. And, and as you mentioned, the, the tour mm. is, wow, it's 21 days and the, the hours are long on it, but they make it exciting. Well, the excitement doesn't, doesn't uh, uh, drop off when we look at triathlon. We have three different sports and the interaction and going back and forth. Mm. It doesn't come down to the final climb. So I, I think our sport uh, has that amazing interest and we certainly have the talent to bring that audience in. Yeah, there's moments throughout the whole show, whereas the bike race, you often wait for the, the sprint for the last, you know, I often turn up with the Tour de France the last seven kilometres or whatever and go, okay, now it'll be interesting, right? I mean, I don't watch the first four hours. It's I don't have time for that. But our sport at least has moments all the way through throughout. Um, did this Collins Cup reconnect you guys a little bit with the sport? I know you've always... You never. You're both coaching. You've got wonderful businesses and everything else. But you know, Mark. Well, firstly, Dave, you are the athleta. What is it, Emeritus Honoree? What is even? That's a, <laughs> what, what, what was your role over there? Right? Yeah. <laughs> and 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 on, on that, Mark, you were Team US captain, which makes yeah. sense. But Dave, what were you doing over uh, there? Well, I'm not really sure. I had to come up with this glorious title. 
And I, I think to uh, provide a plane ticket, you know, to come over. Initially, I was going to be the captain, and I had a conflict with with one of the camps that I teach mm. uh, in 2020 in, in in Kona, and that didn't come to fruition. So they said, "Well, we still want Dave involved." Of course, so yeah. The yeah. emeritus award was the title that was given to me. I think it's just because I'm the oldest guy on the planet. So it, you know, it was it, it was sort of nice being there, and, and I guess I think your question, Greg, was yeah. you know just being around the athletes, as Mark said earlier on, it was um, such a stellar field, and to see these athletes, and we've seen a lot of them over the years at the World Championships, seventy point three, and Ironman World Championships, but we had kind of a, a conglomeration of great uh, Olympic distance athletes, and the representation worldwide was magnificent mm. so the, the racing and, and the uh the pressure that a lot of the athletes felt as a team that was amazing wasn't it yeah it was yeah. amazing yeah. and that was a really uh, magnificent moment that you could just feel that mm. and, and mark was working with the athletes and you know as it came up to the last day and he can he can speak on this i i just felt like the energy from the athletes they had to perform mm. for their team mm-hmm. I, I'd agree. And right before I throw to you, Mark, but it was, uh, I felt that energy that week. I've never seen some of the great, greatest athletes in our sport almost be so nervous. This team concept of their points matter for their team to win. They didn't want to let each other, let each other down. Mark, you were in the trenches, mate. You had, you were team captain. What was that like, you know, with the energy around your team and reconnecting with, with the, the young US team that we, there's a lot of potential there? Yeah, it was, it was a very, unique setup all of the athletes the team captains the support crew were were staying at the same complex we were all eating in the same cafeteria so it was uh, the first time that i had actually had the chance to sit down and talk with a lot of these athletes that i've seen their names and results but i maybe i've never even met them or maybe i've had a two-minute conversation after an event and said hey great race and that's it so it was a real chance, not, uh, it was a real chance for me personally to get to know the athletes. But uh, as far as the team, it was also an interesting opportunity for a lot of the athletes to actually get to know each other. Like some of them admitted like, hey, I've never, I've never talked with so-and-so or I've never actually competed with this person, but here they are and we've had conversations. And it, it, early in the week, there was kind of some intermixing of athletes at the dinner table between the different teams. And you could see as each day went on that, that mix <laughs> went, got less and less and it became more like the team people were eating together only. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was one of the sort of criticisms going into it was like, Hey, these athletes, you know, they've already received their compensation and they're not going to race hard. Well, that got thrown out the window because of just the concept of a team event where, you know, you gain points for first and second and third, it goes toward your team totals and you're going to end up as a team for second or third. But then because of the time bonus points given, if you gain two minutes, four minutes or six minutes on your competitors, even if you were in third place in the race, these athletes were going as hard as they possibly could because they didn't want to give up any of the the time bonus points to the other teams. And so it was a very, very um, unique and completely exciting format. Usually at at an event, everybody's racing together. You, um, you know, first, second, third comes across the line, then everybody else is as an afterthought. Well, not at the Collins Cup. You had 12 events 12 matchups where there was first second and third and that third place person 
was just as important as the person who got Mm -hmm. first. And, you know, the athletes knew this and they, you know, none of them wanted to go home and and have the other athletes look at him like, oh, you sandbagged because you were third place and you didn't, (laughs) you didn't give a shit. You know, you wanted to win it. You were, you were feeling sorry for yourself. No, they all went as hard as they could all the way to that finish. And just a, a multi, you know, so many more layers of motivation to really give everything they had. Mm-hmm. A quick mini break to remind you of the show's incredible partners. You can get 10% off all Hyperice products using the exclusive Greg Bennett Show discount code GREG21 at checkout. Go to hyperice.com and use code GREG21. A quick reminder to do yourself a favor and sign up to Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens also makes a great gift for any family member or friend. So sign up now and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. If you want to see all your key metrics like pace, distance, stroke rate, and heart rate while you swim, you need the Form Smart Swim Goggles. Go to formswim.com forward slash Greg. That's formswim.com forward slash Greg and get $15 off or you can use code GREG2021 at checkout. If you enjoy a beer but want to keep your clarity, stay in your game, then you have to try Athletic Brewing. I was just simply blown away by how good they taste. Just a true craft beer. Go check them out at athleticbrewing.com. That's athleticbrewing.com. On that, talking about the athletes, Dave, standout performances. Um, were there any that you were like, "Wow, that was"? Uh, well, I, I think the uh, in the in the men's race, obviously the 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 big horses did extremely well. Yon mm. um, was the king; everyone knew he's the king, and and he showed and he delivered. He delivered. Mm. Mm. Uh, I, I think the the add-on that we had for Rudy Van Berg was Colin and Colin stepped in for the, for the U.S. at the end. It was such a, a great race. My apologies for not remembering the international athlete, but they were battling. For oh, uh, that was uh, Jackson Laundry. Is that the race? That, uh, which one, was, which match was that one? Mark would probably recall. But, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Colin no, Chartier and, uh, oh no, that wasn't, that was wasn't, it, wasn't ja- it wasn't Jackson. It was, uh, we're, we're, we're doing poorly on this, but uh, we, come to and, and we should know. But that that race, Colin Phil really was uh, selected two days before the start of the race. Came over as an alternate. Now he's racing, and and Mark again knows the circumstances on that. Uh, but that race came down in the last five hundred meters. You could see both of them coming around. It was on the racetrack and coming towards the grandstands, and they were just completely throttled. And just to see the grimacing on their faces was out of this world. They, they were both <laughs> it really tapped, made something. They were both yeah. tapped out. Colin ended up coming in second in that race. And it, it was uh, Kyle Smith. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle Smith. There you go. Correct. Yeah. You know what was what was interesting about that that matchup is that um, Gustav Eden obviously he was the hands-on favorite in the matchup, yeah. Yeah. but but um, Colin was prior to going into it, he knew that nobody was looking at him like he was a threat to even get, you know, he'd be third and he'd probably be, you know, six minutes back, if not farther. And he's like, I have hit numbers in these past two weeks that I've never hit in my training. He goes, I am ready for this. He was so fired up. And unfortunately, (laughs) um, right toward the end, he was, he was ahead of Kyle. And unfortunately he had to, 
make a quick pit stop with just maybe what one or two K to go in the race. Um, oh, come on, Kyle. You don't stop. <laughs> Kyle, no, Colin, Kyle didn't Colin, stop. Colin had to stop. Colin, Colin, don't stop. And, yes. and so Kyle had to, um, or Colin lost about 40 seconds and he goes, I am not letting this guy beat me. And he just started sprinting and he sprinted the last little bit. And as you, as you remember them coming into the, that final stretch, they were going full speed ahead and, and Colin was ahead of him. And I didn't know that this little thing had transpired just outside the stadium, but uh, really gutsy performance for sure mm. by Colin Chartier. Good, good one. That's a, that's a one I hadn't thought about talking about, but it's, that's the thing. There were so many, stories in here you know obviously everyone's talking about jan fredino's great performance taylor nib um taylor, taylor, taylor i mean i think stole the show. i think she stole the show and, and and not only was her individual performance but she put the u.s team on the map because this was all about europe's to lose right they had 23 world titles and one olympic gold compared to lionel sands has an itu world long course and katie zafiris had a an itu world series championship and that's so that's between the other 24 athletes the other two teams that's all the world titles they had compared to europe 23 world titles and one Olympic gold. So it really was an outstanding, it was Europe's to lose. And, yeah, and the US came out was. rocketing, didn't they? I mean, with Jackie Herring and then uh, Taylor Nib, I thought it was fantastic. It made a real show of it. Well, Taylor Nib was in that leadoff and Jackie was in the second wave. Mm. And, uh, or second, third, third wave, wave, I think. Third Jackie, wave. Yeah. And Taylor just, uh, you know, seeing her on the swim and she opened up this lead and, and, um, I think we all recognize Danielle Reef was was not on top of her game, but what a superstar to race against as a 23-year-old young woman in this sport. And Taylor Nib was riding a road bike, the only road bike, and watching her on the monitor, looking over your head, Greg, while you're doing the broadcasting, she's, you know, she's brilliant. She looks smooth. She's got the lead on the swim and continues to extend it. Mm. And she just seemed unfazed by, you know, taking this out and really dominating that first race. So it did, it did parlay well for the U.S. men and women. Like, wow, she set the bar pretty darn high. Yeah. And she was the only one who, as Mark was talking about the point structure, which I didn't really understand until I was there. Mm-hmm. She was the only one of those 12 races. Scored full points. Full points. Six points, right? So that means she had to beat both her competitors by six minutes or more. That's right. So she was the only one. Is that right? She was. She was. I think Jan got five points and Taylor got six. She was, huh? for sure, for me, that was the outstanding uh, surprise and performance of the day. When when the matchups were being announced um, and pick, the picks were being selected for the matchups uh, at the opening ceremonies, which, by the way, Dave gave an incredible speech at. If you haven't, if you haven't you did, seen, you did do a good speech there, mate. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, Mark. It was yeah, yeah. If you if you haven't seen it, go to. You can see it on YouTube at, at the opening ceremonies for the Collins Cup. But anyway, um, we you know the team captains. We all had we all had two options on how to sort of structure the matchups. One would be, let's say, if you know Europe throws in Jan Frodeno, who obviously is the hands-on favorite to beat anybody, we throw in our worst person because why waste somebody who could maybe win another matchup or we could go the other direction and go, well, let's, let's throw our best guy at him and maybe he'll be able to rise up and make an upset. But in any case, it'll be exciting. And so we went for the excitement, all the team captains (laughs) from the various regions. We went, you know what, we want these matchups to be exciting matchups and to have 
And if somebody pulls something out of their hat that nobody expected, then that makes it that much better, not only for the broadcast, but also for the team and motivation for that individual athlete. So anyway, when it came to, you know, Karen and I spoke about it before the matchups and we go, you know what, if we have the opportunity to um, choose who we put against Daniela, we're going to, we're going to stick Taylor because she's young. She's so strong on the bike and she, she doesn't have any preconceived notion of how fast or strong Daniela is. So, you know, a lot of the other women who've had experience against Daniela, you can see it in the races. Daniela goes by and there's no, not a response. No, mm-hmm. Nobody even tries to stay with her for half a second. So <laughs> when, when, you know, Taylor's name was announced, she just gave this look like, Oh, okay. Right on. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm ready. I'm going to do it. And <laughs> And the funniest thing is after she finished and saw, you know, the final thing of what was going on with Daniela, she goes, I am, I'm just so bummed that she wasn't on top of her game. She goes, I wanted to, to race her. And I just don't know if I'm going to get many chances to race Daniela Reef. And I'm so bummed that wasn't a, you know, <laughs> I just love that. It's, yeah. it's just such a refreshing, um, she's a few, she's, she's representing what the future of the sport is going to be like. Oh, for sure. I think you guys, I mean, we can keep going on about it, but you know, I've said on this show before last year when she reached out just to have a conversation, she's outsourcing, she's trying to figure out how to be better in every way she can. Yes, she has some physical ability. Her family loved the sport of triathlon. I think they listened to this show, which is really great. Um, but I but I think she's really just, like you said, she's that youthful exuberance that basically just, and no fear, zero fear. So just go for it. And so that was a real highlight of the whole day. I mean, just, I mean, her year has been extraordinary. I think we're all getting to the point of going, okay, we're not going to get surprised anymore that she does, you know, to qualify for the Olympic Games the way she did, uh, to finish her, her race in the team at the Olympic Games was extraordinary. Then a second at Montreal, then winning the grand final at Edmonton in the World Series, second in Boulder 70.3, right in the middle of all of that. She's basically raced every single weekend. Um, so it has been extraordinary. Um and her, her her time was over three minutes faster than the next fastest woman, who was Lucy Charles, which is amazing. I mean, Lucy Charles Barkley on a moving over, isn't she just the full package? I mean, honestly, <laughs> yeah, I, I've always had the highest accolades for Lucy, and yeah. and she's a magnificent athlete. But I'm also hypercritical of anyone that jumped in the sport so i'm looking at her technique on the swim and i've seen her swim many 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 times and i say well she's really rough with that right arm <laughs> i hope her coach is looking at her and she's pushing kind of a big gear on the bike i wish she could have a little faster cadence. i mean you're always you know you're always trying to uh, devour you know what yeah. is working well and then you know in hindsight how can you be critical? Well, I, you know, I, unfortunately, it's a high performance show. It's, it's okay. High, this it's is a what high we performance do. show. And, <laughs> and I was lucky to coach some high performance people. Yeah. yeah. Chrissy and, and Craig Alexander yeah. and Julie Dibbins. And you're always trying to, you know, better that one little seed. Yeah. And so I looked at Lucy as she's race, racing Katie Zavaris and, and thinking, well, her swim stroke's a little rough. Her head's high and her right arm's coming in. Yeah. And I think, well, who am I going to say? Well, here we are on the show, Greg. And I just said it. And, uh, <laughs> no, this is what the show is about. Yeah. This whole, the whole point is, is, I mean, Lucy, if you're listening, you know, get to Boulder. Dave will help you out here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure she's surrounded by uh, great, great coaching, but that, that's my, uh, yeah, my one dollar uh, comment. No, I, I, and fair enough. I, I've just been impressed how she's able to go from you know super sprint to I think she got fifth 
at the Leeds WTS right before the Olympics. She just got out touched to go to the Olympics for the 1500 in the pool. Uh, she does well in the, you know, Chris McCormack Super League triathlon stuff. She performs well there. Then she does well Ironman. She has three six. I mean, the, yeah, she's it, remarkable. It is that I think that's so. As much as she might be a bit choppy in the water, she's still still quite extraordinary. What What do you think, Mark? <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, her results are um, they're diverse, which is very unique these days. Back when when Dave and I raced, there was an expectation that you would just be good at all distance rate events, yeah. all distance races at the same time, and. That, uh, that expectation has not been there in for a few decades, actually. People, it's like, okay, I'm doing ITU stuff now. And then once I'm done with that, then I'm going to step up and then I'm going to do Ironman. Look at Jan Frodeno. Um, and, and those who've tried to sort of bridge both dis- both distances haven't, haven't been able to do that successfully. Mm. Clearly, Lucy was just on the cusp of, you know, getting to the Olympics. And uh, I, I think she's just, she's a talent not only a talent, but she's, she's a hard worker, obviously, and able to, able to shift gears and, and do the distinct type of training that's needed for each unique distance. Mm -hmm. A lot of athletes don't do that. They come into Ironman, they try to train like they're still doing an IT race. They blow themselves up or, you know, Ironman folks trying to go back. I know it too well, Mark. (laughs) Yeah. Or, you know, folks who've done Ironman for a few years and it's like, okay, I want to try and make the Olympic team again, but you just don't, aren't aren't able to to devote that that type of work into getting that real snap and speed back Mm. all right well on a whole collins cup guys um firstly if we had to score it out of 10 what would we give it and then second part to that what would we change to make it a 10 out of 10 so Dave, you want to go first? Well, I, I think the uh, the final show that the viewers saw, and I'm getting this obviously secondary, um, the programming for that show, and you were in the broadcast booth, uh, Greg, I, th- I think as far as the visual that people are seeing, we've really got to bring that to the audience. What, what we had in being there is that we had 12 TVs. We had 12 monitors, 12 races going on simultaneously, and we had feedback on the differential between first, second, third, how that would be 38 seconds and then a minute 10 and so on. Mm -hmm. So we were getting instantaneous feedback. The viewer needs that as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I, and that can be done. And I, and I think, you know, the races, the uniqueness of the races and the, the jockeying back and forth and the interchange and the breakaway on the run and, you know, going back to Colin and um, Taylor Nib, you know, right away, just setting the hammer down we need to see that collectively and get a better pulse on the racing. And as mm-hmm. you said, Greg, it's not just the final sprint in the Tour de, Tour de France. We have this interchange. So bring that to the viewer. And I think that can be uh, a big uptick on, on, on this first round. So out of 10? Uh, I'd give it about a 7.5. Fair enough. Good. Which is not a bad start for, for, for an inaugural year in a, in a COVID era. Uh, Mark, how about you, mate? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to look at it just slightly differently. I, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a ten out of ten for a first year event. You never get anything right the first time out, and you always, in hindsight, see what could have done better, been done better to make it an even greater experience. But I think, all things considered, first and foremost, that this event took place during a pandemic. You had a truly international field. You had the best in the world at that race, and it's probably the only race that's ever, that's going to take place in 2021 with that quality with that deep of quality of field uh 
So I, I give it a, a 10 out of 10 for a first year event. But again, of course, what do you want to improve on? Well, there are certain things that could be improved on for sure. As Dave mentioned, mentioned we were in in the, the, the broadcast booth. And so we had a, a screen that was showing every single matchup with every athlete and the speed they were going, the distance between each of the athletes. And not only that, there was also a real-time scoring that was showing if the race stopped at that exact moment, who would be first, who would be second, who would be third. And that was updated one time every second. So in real time, we were seeing how the how the team leads were changing based on what was going on in each, each of the matchups. And we had, as Dave said, 12 monitors. So we could see each of the 12 matchups going on real time. If that was brought to the uh, to the audience, on and then you have amazing, amazing world class commentators like yourself. Well, well e- said. Explain, <laughs> yeah, ex- explaining what's Thank going you, Phil, on. Thank you for carrying the show. <laughs> yeah, it would just be. I, I think it would be so captivating for people because there's. I have never seen uh, real time data like that where it's like, oh my god, Taylor Nibs going. She's going 44K an hour. Now she's going 47K an hour. And the next fastest woman in the in any of the matchups is only going 42K mm-hmm. an hour. Mm-hmm. You're just like, you're just absorbed in it. And it's really, really exciting to have that. And then when you can see the, the you know, the can the, the camera with the leader, and then you can see somebody closing in from behind and you can see the data and how fast they're running. It's that's the kind of thing that uh you know the average person sitting on the couch is going to go hey this is really cool you mm-hmm. got to bring that to them and if you can uh you're going to have people hooked and waiting just salivating for this event to take place well i think i think you nailed it i think the event itself was a 10 out of 10 i think the production and what we delivered to the consumer at home i think dave's right it was a 7.5 i think there can be more information for that person at home and uh you know, there's only so much an announcer can do in getting that information and relaying it over. And they were putting up little, you know, as is who would win if it, the race stopped, the event stopped right now kind of stuff. That was coming up on the screen. But like you said, we had 12 moto screens going on. We, we had a bit more of an idea. So I think we split the difference. We call it an 8.75. I think that's, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> okay, yeah. you got it. I'll and, go with that. But I, but I think everything, I think you guys both make some really great points. I think the only thing that I would like to change, and you guys, I, I do think the athletes deserve a qualifying appearance money. Unlike when you go to qualify for Kona and you're out of pocket 10 grand with your VRBO, your airfares and everything, that you're there for two weeks and you come 11th and you go home with nothing. I do think there should be a qualifying bonus, you know, five grand, 10 grand, whatever it is. You qualify for the Collins Cup, you're looked after. Don't worry about it. Um, but I would like to see racing for prize money. Um, I, I think whether that's, I think it definitely should be team. I think, you know, if you team USA wins and you split a million dollars between the team and then, and I'd like to even see it where the winners really get it. You know, horse racing where it'd be like a million dollars for a win, second is 200 grand and third is 100 grand. So you're still working home with some money in the losing team, but it's about the win. You know, for me, that's what high performance is about. We should be encouraging the win. So long as we take care of, you know, you're not out of pocket. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I agree, Greg. I, I think that also brings the viewers in. Mm. When we're looking at a golf tournament that ends today and the winner gets $15 million today, 
15 million first prize. And I was just reading about this morning and tennis is the same thing, million dollar purses and so on. And it's obviously scaled down. You know, the interest goes up with the viewer. Mm -hmm. Wow, These athletes are incredible athletes and they're vying for a big purse at the end. So Mm -hmm. I agree 100% with you. Yeah. Mark, what do you think? Actually, Karen and I talked about that as a, actually Karen, Dave and I talked about that as something that would be really, I think, very exciting if, if the team that won got a big chunk of money and then they got to split it between mm. their athletes and second was a, num- a different number and the third place was obviously yeah. a, a lower number. I think that does um, add a lo- a lo- another huge mm. level of credibility and interest. Yes. Yeah. You know, people watching, they, they want to know that these people won a bunch of money that would take them 10 years to make. That's yeah. that kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, I think that's enough on the Collins Cup, though, guys. I think we we all enjoyed our week of just getting together and catching up, to be honest, after a year and a half of COVID and not being able to see anybody. Everybody was so happy to see each other and and, and see a great event. But moving on. I, I'm just I'm just wondering why Dave and I look so much more fit than you did. I don't know. What's I know, going mate. On I've let myself go. I won in a three-year-old. You just you give up. <laughs> yeah. That's not true. <laughs> I know. You guys look fantastic. Actually, I went for a run with Simon Whitfield, who put on a couple of little pounds and uh, all the hecklers. We went, we ran past when everyone was getting their COVID tests in the morning and all the athletes were there. I've never been heckled so much in a running all my life as we ran probably 10 minute mile pace or whatever that is, 16 minute case. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you ran, I was there getting my test and you ran by and you go, don't worry, this run isn't a comeback. And I go, when are you going to start running? <laughs> <laughs> They were going. If you did, if you guys, you had to see how slow they were running. It was, it was very impressive. They were just starting out. You didn't see um, as we went around yeah, the corner. Well, okay, yeah, you were sprinting after that. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All, All right, right, guys. Iron Man Kona. What are we thought? What are we doing? I mean, obviously, this isn't this isn't their fault now um, that it's been cancelled or postponed. This one. What do, What do you think? Um, what What do you think about? you know, the postponement and where they should move it to and, and everything else. Uh, Mark, what do you think, mate? Should they have another world championship or uh, just wait, keep waiting and waiting? Well, like you said, it, it's it's not Ironman's fault that the, the event was postponed again. Uh, it was a decision that came from the, the state government. So, you know, Ironman, mm. e- even though they... Even though Ironman itself has put in place incredible uh, amount of social distancing and reduced contact points and done everything to actually make an athlete who's there competing pretty darn safe and very unlikely that they're going to be exposed or contract COVID, um, you know, you've got tens of thousands of fans who are going to end up coming and uh, the infrastructure... uh, in Hawaii is just not, it couldn't handle a huge influx of people getting sick or injured or, you know, anything like that. So I understand their decision. Um, so where does that leave Ironman? You, you know, you've got a few options. You just keep waiting it out, hope that February happens. If it doesn't, then you, you're going to another, you're going to October, 2022, or do you go, well, let's have some event somewhere else and call it world championship there is no good solution. Mm. You know, the, the thing that makes the Ironman World Championship what it is, is having it on the island of Hawaii. Mm. It, will, it would not be the same race if it was held somewhere else. Like, 
you could have the French open on, you, you just couldn't have the mm. French open on a clay court in Indian Wells. Mm. It wouldn't be the same. And so I think it's the same thing. I think, you know, a lot of, this was a big topic, a topic of discussion among the athletes over there in, in Slovakia and Shemlerin. They were like, well, why is an Ironman just having at least a pro race somewhere else and, and have it in Florida, have it somewhere that we know that we can have it and at least call it a world championship. Um, it's there. That's just not a good option. I don't think, I think we just have to, um, weather this out mm-hmm. and just say, you know what, it's going to be, it's going to be really tough. It's tough for those who qualified in 2019 if they can even race in 2022 or whenever the the event happens. Um, It's going to be tough for legacy athletes. That whole system is backing way up. But at the same time, uh, the Ironman World Championship should be something special. It should be honored uh, and not just sort of move because it's like there's a a circumstance in the world. It's like, well, well, let's do it somewhere else. It'll be the same thing. It's just not... What about when you think about a lifespan of a professional athlete? Um, it's unfortunate. I, I, There's this is not ideal. There's mm. nothing ideal about this. You know, as a pro athlete, you've got somebody like you know, you've got you got Lionel Sanders, you've got Patrick Lange, you've got Daniela Reef, you've got Jan Ferdano, who uh, by the time 2022 comes around, they're almost three years older than the last time they raced that event, and maybe that's an advantage for some. The young folks, it's a complete disadvantage for those who are in the in the twilight years of their career, but it's just what it is. So how many years would we allow it to go by without having an Ironman world champion? Like like we say, okay, we're going, it's going to be two years now, three years, four years. I mean, at what point does Ironman start to say, well, we need to have a world championship. Otherwise we don't, we don't, like I agree with you, I think. Kona is the holy grail of our sport. I get it. But at what point do we start having a discussion going, well, we need to have something? Um, Dave? Yeah, I, I agree, uh, Mark. I mean, putting it off with all the circumstances, right or wrong, and trying to second guess, you know, the mayor and, and the government and COVID and everything else is uh, improbable and impossible, but it really does put the athletes that are at the end of their careers on a fence. Mm. And I think it does dilute and diffuse a little bit of the momentum of, of Ironman, the prestige of Ironman. And, and, you know, if, if we mm. need to go to another venue, I mean, people, the Kona and Hawaii are unique in itself. And, uh, you know, the vegetation is unique and the, going across the Pacific is unique. But if we could move that to a safe location, if that was possible, and it was still interesting and provocative for the, the world, and we could label that as a world championship, as we do with the 70.3 races in moving the venue, mm. uh, we're, we're never going to be able to displace Kona and the Ironman no. in Hawaii. And it's like saying, well, can we move to Wimbledon? Well, uh, not really, but you know, the one major uh Ironman distance is Kona. It is. And when we look at tennis or golf, there's four or five different majors. So, uh, I, you know, I kind of agree. If we let three years go by, ouch, that really is going to hurt the sport in a lot of ways. And it certainly is going to end a lot of the careers for the athletes. Mm. And, and but it's interesting, though, because even if we try and do a world championship somewhere else, even if we say Florida or Utah or Germany or whatever, 
people still may not be able to get to those places. Right. That, so, that, yeah, know. that's the exact thing that, you know, that, that's the other piece of it that I didn't mm-hmm. mention is that, yeah, they could move it to Florida. They could move it to Cozumel. They could have it in Arizona in November, but that still wouldn't necessarily make it a true world championship because there would are still there. Yeah. There's still going to be, you know, the Asia Pacific folks who can't make it. There's going to be Europeans who can't make it. There's it's, it would be there would be a huge asterisk around it. Maybe not for the professionals, but for the age group athletes in the event. And that's what the sport's about. I mean, what makes our sport so unique is that we all get to do it together. And and I would hate to see that just just have the professionals because you guys coach a lot of the age groupers, and and they this is they love it. They it's like it's the fact that they get to race with the professionals, they get to be a part of it all. It'd be just, I think it would really cheapen the sport because I think really feel like that's what the sport is about, you know, the combination of the two. So anyway, well, we'll just have to wait and see and let's let's hope and pray that we get February up 2022 mm-hmm. um, because, yeah, I don't know that there is a right answer at this point. It's just so many, it's just so hard to plan anything in the world at the moment. Um, anyway, how's that beer going, Dave? You enjoy uh, it? It's, it? It's amazing. Uh, I've almost finished it here, and I'm going to open up the next uh, three or four cans. Here we go. <laughs> well, guys, I've got, I've got just uh, one more area that I want to chat with you guys, you know, and then we'll finish up with a few fast questions. But the, the sport of triathlon as a whole um, and, and what you've seen change, you know, you guys have been in it almost from the beginning, Dave. Mark, you're only a couple of years later. You've watched it change. What have been some of the things if I said to you, what have you really seen the biggest changes, where we, whether we talk equipment, athletes, events? Has there been things that stand out to you that have changed over the last, what is it, 40? 40? Dave's going to be the number. I'll keep, going, keep going. That would be 43. 43 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what the, I did my first race in 76. So you guys can do the math. Well, there we go. Well, that's 45 years. Uh, that's, yeah, somewhere around that. I was four years old. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> mate. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th- I think the biggest change, right or wrong, is that we, we don't have a real theater program in a lot of the country. So you can see the youth development and the, the notoriety, prestige, and the development of some of the young athletes. But we don't really have that theater program. And then also, are we in a, an exclusive sport that is just for the rich? And, you know, people to get to the venue, to buy the bikes, to pay the entry fees. Um, and I understand the costs on it. Uh, I don't have an answer on all this, but we certainly don't have a nurturing program. I mean, we, we you know, see it in different countries. Australia is, is a good example. And they have the youth programs and they have them on the beach and and they're in a tight little course to some degree. Mm. Uh, and I've seen this in Europe and in several European countries and club um the clubs help the athletes uh, along. We certainly don't have minorities in our sport. Mm. And, uh, and I can speak for the States. We just, you know, are we bringing that up? There's pockets that have been developed. So, you know, how, how do we do that? I don't really have that answer. Well, it's a, well, it is an expensive sport at the end of the day. And you probably touched on it, right? I, I think clubs are the only way to, to go forward because clubs can then have equipment that's there. And because it's not just a matter of a soccer ball and, you know, here's a couple of garbage tins and you can kick the ball in between you know it, it is equipment based and then getting to events and and, and everything else it, it's not not a cheap sport it really isn't you know um and you're right 
Mark, what do you, what do you think, mate? Uh, things that have changed or, or things that, you know, you guys have been around. It's, it's always great to hear the wisdom. You know, I think the biggest thing that has changed um, is that athletes now have access to really good knowledge on how to train. There, there are coaches, there's knowledge online, there's training plans, there's guidance, there, there are clubs all over uh, with programs to help um, beginners get going. And so if you look at, let's say you go, you know, you go to the Ironman World Championship and you, you look at the quality of, I'll talk about age group athletes, the quality of the age group athlete is infinitely higher than it was back when I started in mm-hmm. 1982. You know, there were, there were no coaches. There was no knowledge based on how to train. There was, people hadn't figured it out yet. Dave and myself and everybody else, we were, we were winging it. Well, Dave wasn't winging it. He knew what the hell he was doing, but no, I was no, winging no, it. I was winging it. <laughs> and, and, and so there, the, the, le- the average level of the athlete who has been in the sport for at least a couple of years is so much higher than it was 40 years ago. And so that's, that's kind of a cool thing. It's, it makes it harder to qualify for the big events, you know, like Kona, but, and then there's the obvious stuff, you know, technology and all that, but that I think that's actually the biggest the biggest difference between the 80s and the 2020s and people don't talk about that very much if at all it's always about oh there's aero bikes and there's you know all this stuff and it's um are there problems as as dave mentioned you know there's yes there's there's a barrier to entry that is partially due to the equipment cost but it's also partially due to um the time expenditure it takes to um, train for three events. And the thing that, one thing that is, that actually was available in the eighties that I don't think is as accessible now are really good high, a a lot of good high quality Olympic distance events. Mm -hmm. And that's the feeder system for the sport. If you are a marathon runner or a swimmer or, you know, coming from another sport and you're thinking, Hmm, I want to try a triathlon. It's a big leap to have your first race be a a half Ironman. And it's Mm -hmm. certainly a a giant leap. If you're thinking you're going to do an Ironman when we competed, there was, you know, United States triathlon series. There were a lot of Olympic distance events all over the world that enabled people to get their feet wet and go, okay, you know, I'll, I'll train a couple of days a week and, you know, I'll, I'll hack through it and see what I think. And you do, and you kind of go, oh, this was actually pretty cool. And to have, you know, 2000 other people out there doing the same thing. And, you know, that guy was on a, that guy was on a tricycle too. So, you know, I guess I'm not so out of whack, you know, mm. um, they don't, there is not as much of that anymore. And especially now with the pandemic, a lot of the independent smaller race directors who put on those local events, they're out of business, which is mm. super unfortunate for for having that feeder system for, for getting new new athletes, first timers uh, into the sport, giving them that taste of what is, you know, really fun about it. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, the amount of people you hear, the, the bucket list Ironman athlete, you know, they, they hear at the office that some guy didn't, I want to do an Ironman. It becomes that midlife crisis male sport to some degree i mean the females as well it's a midlife crisis that 35 to 65 year old age group that i 
oh, my life's going to end and I haven't done an Ironman. They come into the sport and they leave and it goes. And so I think there's the, there's the entry level, but then there's also keeping people the retention level that the sport still has to work on on both levels. I think the ITU is doing a fairly good job around the world of trying to keep branching out, trying to bring more countries in, trying to make sure that it's a quality, trying to, they are, I, I feel like the ITU have done pretty well on that over the last few years. Um and, and Mark, you talk about the the physiology and the training. I've been blown away by just doing this show for these last two years and the sports scientists and coaches and things and, and even having you guys on and, and, and the amount that I'm like, wow, I could have been much better had I had that that information at my disposal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just some incredible minds that the way they're training now, I don't know if you guys know the Norwegian team and how they've been just, you know, Christian Blumenfeld, Gustav Eden, these guys, and uh, their coach, Aril Svetten, who's been on the show. It's it's phenomenal that they're just they're lab rats and they're just trying to figure out how to become. They love what they do. By the way, they just love to train hard. They love it, and that's a huge thing. And then they they're all really close mates, so they all push each other. And then they've got these science team that have them on treadmills and everything, testing everything. They share each other's information, and so you know whatever Gustav's tests show, you know Christian's able to use that. And so it didn't surprise me at all the success that they've had um, in that team. But I think that is because of just phenomenal coaching and the science now, what they know compared to what you guys knew. Mm. I mean, Dave, you were, you were preaching carbo parties in the 80s. <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that- a, a little asterisk on that. Uh, Gustav Eden's time in the Collins Cup was only 10 seconds slower than Jan Frodeno's. Mm. No, I know the guy's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. He, he is phenomenal, and the Norwegian's a good example because they've they've obviously dominated in Nordic skiing, and their application of Nordic skiing and the science part is obviously disseminated down. And Norwegians, mm-hmm. as a whole, the country, they're amazing both both genders. But we have to pass that on also to the age groupers, so that they have yes. even a entry level uh, physiological training platform that they can follow and they have guidelines and you know to, to some degree we're all doing that in the coaching realm we're trying you know trying to give them guidance and it's you know based on evolving uh science so the the top norwegians yes they, they've got a golden ticket and a golden plate yeah. and i think other countries will fall new zealand is also there as well but um, we certainly need this for the the amateurs, and I, I think one area that, as you alluded to, Greg, that a lot of um, athletes are checking this off on their bucket list, and I think it's a you know to a fault. Mm. And I don't like to hear that, but that I, I know that that is kind of uh, the you know the quick down and dirty. Let's get this done and move to something else, the lawn bowling or whatever else you're going to do, but. Mm. Uh, which is great, by the way. No, 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 no. <laughs> For all the lawn bowling fans out there, it's an exciting sport, but we don't we don't really have it as a lifestyle. So it's not the, the health denominator of mm. doing triathlon, which we all know collectively is a healthy sport if it's done right and properly, and it's a, and it's a lifestyle. Mm. And I don't think that information on health and aging and you know are you doing all the right things besides just swim bike run i know well the health and the longevity whatever people can learn um you know most people listening to this show already are pretty aware of that um but it is something that i think our leaders in the world can do a a much better job of Mm -hmm. um 
you know, rather than just here, take this pill or this injection on this will solve the issue. You know, there's a lot more there. Um, but- well, all, all you have to do is walk through an airport and realize that the majority of the people either have no idea really how to truly take care of themselves or they're unwilling to do it. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, well, that's it. All they, all they don't have access to it, in fairness. I mean, it, it's, yeah, yeah. you know, we, 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 it's easy to come from an area of white privilege, males, as, as we are, but it's, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, some people don't have access to eating yeah. well and all the finances yeah. to eat because it's not cheap. But anyway, guys, this has been fantastic. Um, let's finish up with a few questions. Um, Dave, I'll go to you first. What is one tip you have for people on just how to, optimize their life or their performance in sport wow that uh, one tip one tip one of, tip takeaway that, that's sort of a big big umbrella task. <laughs> uh I, I think it is sort of a segue from what i was just talking about i think you really need to look and, and monitor as best you can and what you're eating and there is good science out there on, on what to avoid just to start with because a lot of the issues that we have with covid are diet related mm. and all, all the major disease that we have are diet related. Mm-hmm. So I think for long-term health and you add triathlon into that, which is a healthy component, uh, I, I would really look at your dietary intake and you just alluded to it, it is expensive, but there are, there are choices uh, depending on your socioeconomic mm. status that you can eat healthy. Mm. So I, you know, I agree partially with your comment. Uh, and I think that's my tip. I like it. And, and and we should, people that want to listen to your episode, I think your episode five, um, you actually go into some great detail on how to optimize that. So people check that one out. Mark, what about yourself? I, I think uh, with sport, one of the greatest things is if you can have it become part of your lifestyle. You mm-hmm. know, it's there seems to be sort of three kind of categories. There's folks that they just, they get up and they know that at some point during the day, they're going to, they're going to move their body and human, the human body is meant to move. It's not meant to sit hours and hours and hours on end. And, and, you know, you combine that with, with a poor diet and everything that we see as far as health risks starts to materialize. And then there's the folks that are sporadic, you know, they're, they're on top of it for, three weeks and then a month goes by and they get locked into a work routine or whatever, and they just let it go. Um, I just think if people, if people could just make like carve out an hour, maybe even in small bits throughout the day. So it doesn't have to be an hour all at once and just move their bodies, stretch their body, get it flexible, do something to challenge the muscles a little bit, get your heart rate up a little bit. They would, find that um the whole rest of their life is enhanced you know you you feel but you would feel better you would sleep better you would have more energy you would have more clarity in your mind when you actually had to sit down then and and do your work and and stress would be less Mm. and stress is a huge thing stress is the biggest um negative influence on people's lives both in general and also as an athlete if an athlete is not improving off and even in their training that they're doing should expect to see improvement look at stress and that's probably what's going to be holding them back good answer all right guys let's finish with 15 really fun fast rapid fire questions i'm going to throw to each of you real quick softball one i'll start with you dave what's your favorite family vacation i haven't had one (laughs) mark 
Going surfing anywhere. <laughs> Going surfing anywhere. All right, Mark, this one to you. Winning Kona, World Championships, or winning Olympic gold? Oh, Kona, man. Dave? All the way. Kona. Yep. Dave, first car you owned? Uh, I had a Datsun 510. I uh, bought it for $750. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, I uh, bought it in 1970. It was 1974, and it was a hot machine. <laughs> Mark? A Dodge Dart. Dodge Dart. Ooh, that's a bad <laughs> Dodge Dart with a slant six. <laughs> a slant six. I love it. All right, Mark, what would you change about yourself if you could? Uh, I would just, I, I would change the sport that was paying me because, you know, as a triathlete, you had to do it for passion. You did not do it for the money. I would, I would get involved with like boxing or something where you can make like a hundred gazillion dollars all in one match. And then you just retire. So, so you would have been a, you would have been a better physique. A boxing physique. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Me and Mike Tyson, we'd be going at it. All right, Dave, what would you do, mate? What would you change? You wouldn't have any teeth, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I could buy dentures with that kind of money. <laughs> oh, I, I think probably manufacturing stress, which Mark was talking to. I have a tendency to bring that up to uh, crescendo. And if I could just monitor that over time. And, and it's an issue that's kind of plagued me over the years. Should try one of these things that I got on my wrist here. Uh, that looks like your kid's uh, picture or something. It's a polar neuro. It's a little vibrating thing. Mm, I should try it. it helps. I'll let you borrow it. Anyway, all right, uh, where are we up to? Dave, um, two most used apps on your on your iPhone or your phone? Uh, I try to avoid those most of the time. I look at a lot of, <laughs> a lot of stuff on Twitter, but I don't, I don't answer it. <laughs> So Twitter uh, and what else? Uh, probably my uh, Apple Music. Apple Music. Mark, two most used apps on your phone. Well, I don't know if they're my two most used, but they're the ones that I, I think are the coolest. One is uh, my maps. <laughs> you know, to be able to go into a city with a million one-way yeah. streets and not get lost, that's yeah. that's gold. Change the and then, and then I actually do use my uh, Apple Music for... Swift rides that I do weekly, put together playlists. And so that's really just, it's fun. It's simple. You can just do it. It's really cool. Cool. All right. Mark, out of 10, how cool would you say you are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm somewhere between one and 10. <laughs> uh, you know, there's days where I feel like I'm on top of the world. And there's days where, you know, I feel like I'm feel like a complete gomer. So it just depends on what I'm doing. You know, when, when you surf, you, you, you can go the full gamut because some days you, you pull off things that it's like, did I really just do that? And then there's other days where you can barely get to your feet. And like I've been surfing 45 yeah. years and I'm struggling to get to my feet. How is this even possible? That's so, great. yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely between somewhere between one and 10. All right. And Dave? I'm not cool at all. My kids would call me the biggest dork on the planet, but <laughs> my candor is always a 10 and, and my coolness is probably a 0.5. <laughs> I love that question because people just feel very awkward about it. Anyway, um, let's move on. First job, Dave. Uh, I taught swimming lessons and I had all the troubled kids. They seem I seemed to have a knack in just dealing with these kids that were tyrants and uh, 
well, let me go back. I actually mowed lawns for a dollar an hour and, and I was 10 years old. And uh, so I, I mowed lawns across the street. That was really my first job. And then I taught swimming when I was 15. Nice. Mark? My, my first and my last job were actually, um, I was a lifeguard in San Diego. Did that for seven summers. And mm-hmm. uh, since then, I've been searching for a profession, but I can't seem to find one. I don't know what's going on. Still trying to figure out what to do with your life? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. <laughs> All right. Important one. Which decade of music is best? Mark. You know, I... Uh, they're all great, but I, I have to say I was on a, on the flight back from Slovakia. There were a number of um, documentary movies on the flight that you could watch and that had to do with music. So there was one on Aretha Franklin and Buddy Guy and Bob Dylan. And there was one that they did uh, with Jimi Hendrix where he recorded a concert in Maui up on Haleakala in this natural amphitheater. And they... What they did is uh, the day that he decided he was going to actually do it, they built a stage just out in the middle of nowhere on, on Haleakala, the, the the big main volcano there on Maui. And uh, it was way up high, like five or 6,000 feet. And so anyway, they they went through the town of Lahaina with a couple buses and said, hey, Jimi Hendrix is going to be playing live. Do you want to come? He's giving a concert today. So they filled up a bunch of buses and they bust these people up this mountain and they had to walk like four or five miles through the middle of nowhere to get to where he was. And he played, he played his first set. It was about two hours, and uh, you know, it was all his classic stuff. But the audience was maybe they were a little bit um, under the influence of something, and they were just sitting there like little kindergartners, and they were barely moving. And he finally got pissed off. He's like, "You guys, you get you're you're not yelling, you're not getting up and dancing." And he goes, "I'm off." And so he went off stage, and and the. Uh, his the people who got him there they're like you gotta come out you got come on we'll get him going and so they got the people all riled up and they're like jimmy you gotta come out man and so he came out with this guitar that he called the wing and it's just a simple electric guitar there was none of the stuff where he plays with his teeth and all that and he played just blues but it was blues jimmy hendrix style and it was the most amazing music I have ever, ever heard. There is nobody on this planet before or after who could who could do it like that. So, Jimmy, wherever decade you're at, wherever you were, <laughs> I'm giving it to you, buddy. <laughs> so it's not one decade, it's one artist that covers yeah. covers many decades. I like yeah. that. And I like the I like the the picture you painted. All right, Dave. Yeah, I think I, I think it's back in the 70s because we the artists didn't have all the uh, synthesizers and added electronics that they can now dub in. Mm-hmm. It was just raw talent. And I think there's raw talent now, but as Mark was just mentioning, it's Jimmy and his guitar. And you see a lot of our artists that came on that way. And, and um, you know, whether you like the Beatles or not, I wasn't an avid fan, but I saw them on Ed Sullivan when I was just a kid for the first time. Mm-hmm. These, they're, they're amazing. But musically, they were pretty remarkable. And mm-hmm. their, str- their songs have a longevity, like, like a lot of, artists you know way back when so uh, i I don't, I don't know if it's just age that mark brought up but uh, i i would say back in the 70s uh, the music was uh, pretty electric you know uh, the 70s i've asked that question a few times tim o'donnell said 70s sam long 70s 
um, there's a bit of a theme going on here. And, uh, and what's great about it is in our car, I have Pandora going, my little daughter doesn't really get to watch anything. All the other kids in the neighborhood know this movie Frozen and all these other things. Our little one, you ask her what her favorite band is, she'll say Talking Heads. Her favorite song, <laughs> 1999 by Prince, uh, which is, we're going into the 80s a bit here, but, but she loves Neil Diamond, Cat Stevens, John Denver. I mean, it, there is, it, you go through some of the artists there and it really is a remarkable era in music. Anyway, let's finish up with uh, two more questions, guys, and then I'll let you go, I promise. All right. Dave. Who would you want to play a movie of you? Uh, uh, play you in a movie of your life? Oh, wow, who, who would ever want to do that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I just told you earlier in the show that I think that 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 era of the late eighties with YouTube—that's it's movie worthy. I'm telling you. Uh, oh boy! So um, somebody's going to play that. They're going to play that from the mid eighties when you guys started racing yeah. each other. They're going to play all the way through to your uh, retirement. Maybe Woody Harrelson. He's kind of surly. He's, <laughs> he's kind of surly. He, 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 he's had a kind of an eclectic mix of characters. Yeah. I think he's pretty diverse. I, so. I think so too. Yeah, why not? I like, I like that Woody Harrelson. Mark? Who would play me in a, in a movie about me? Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I think it would have to be one of the one of the one of the Mickey Mouse Club dancer type dudes <laughs> you know just because they know how to move their body and and, uh, and i you know as an that's athlete not you. Why, why are you <laughs> well you know kind of you <laughs> dave you have you have never seen me in my moments where i'm moving my <laughs> body doing you know a movie I mean? of you from the early 80s to <laughs> yeah to so now. you so, got you know you're gonna have zach efron or one of those guys or you know you maybe maybe you got justin bieber i don't know he can't move though he's kind of fat no anyway i don't know that's a that's a very good one tom cruise because he's so famous and yeah, he can jump yeah. out of airplanes and i you know i actually there was a, a point where somebody was trying to um put together a, a movie concept with you know the whole thing around 1989 or whatever and they were talking about who might play us i don't remember what they said though so Oh, we've got to find that out. That'd be yeah. awesome. Guys, mm. okay, anybody listening out there, I know there's a few uh, movie producers that listen to this every now and then. Let's make it happen. Uh, did you guys ever watch this on a uh, show called Peaky Blinders on Netflix? Neither of you. Mark, did what? you watch Pe- Peaky Blinders on Netflix? Uh, I have not seen it, oh. sir. Best series you could watch. Go watch it. Unbelievable. Anyway, the main character in there is who, who I'd want to play mine. Cillian Murphy, his name is scrawny little British guy, but look him up. just very cool. Anyway, last question: greatest movie of all time, Mark? Uh, well, the one that I've probably seen the most is Shawshank Redemption. Mm. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Mm. I asked Crowy that the other day, and he said Shawshank too. So you, there's two Shawshank Redemptions. Dave, I don't know. I, I might have to end the show. I could, I, I'd have to. Um, really think about that i you know i, I like great character acting yeah. men and women i usually like a uh, you know i enjoyed a lot of the documentaries uh, typically the one that has a you know a dramatical point to it there was a uh, butler that was pay, played by anthony hopkins mm. and uh, i can't remember the lead woman but they were trying to get together. Maybe it was sort of a mirror of my life. And they were, uh, he was the butler and she, and she also was doting towards this uh, very wealthy person. And they were in the same giant sort of castle and they had this sort of 
quiet love affair. Yeah. And I always thought that, that was sort of a tear jerking kind of movie. And maybe it's uh, woe was me, boy. That should have happened to me pretty soon. We actually collide with something. I wish I could remember the name. So you're a dramatic romantic by this Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, and I can't think of the name, but I enjoy Anthony Hopkins. I like all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's brilliant I, yeah he's brilliant he is mm-hmm. really brilliant i can see think of some of that you know scared the pants off me but <laughs> Iron, ironically last night i had this dream about meryl streep god knows why and we were <laughs> we were on a plane that was like this like the space shuttle but giant it was like a commercial thing right and so I'm sitting in my seat and then here, and I'm in economy class, right? You know, I don't even dream of myself in first class. And so then all of a sudden I look over and there's friggin' Meryl Streep and she goes, hey, how's it going? I'm like, oh my God, you're sitting there. And I, uh, in the dream, I'd had two other dreams that I was going to be sitting next to her and I was going to tell her, I dreamt that you were going to be sitting next to me and here you are. But I was so excited that the, and the, the, this space shuttle thing stopped for a second, was on the ground and I jumped off and I ran over and uh, my my partner, Katie, was sitting and having a picnic. And I go, guess who's on the plane sitting next to me? I go, Meryl Streep. And then I look back, I'm like, oh my God, I better get back on the plane. Otherwise it's going to take off and I won't be able to tell her that I had a dream about her that I was going to be sitting next to her. And so what the hell does that have to do with anything? I don't know. You asked about <laughs> movies and there you go. <laughs> this is what I said before we started recording. I said, guys, I'm happy to go wherever we want to go. <laughs> there we are. You better turn Mark off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, this, has been, this has been fantastic. It, it always is a bit of a thrill for me. I know. I don't want to make you feel all weird, but it is, you know, I was a massive fan when I was a kid watching you guys. So it is pretty cool to have you have you on my little show here. Um, what's next, guys? You're going to St. George this weekend come out? Actually, this will come, this show will come out after St. George, but um Yeah, you know. we're, we're world champion 70.3. So you know, it's gonna be a good show. I think, you know, unfortunately with COVID, it's gonna be a, a US dominated mm. race, and we're not gonna get the international athletes that we've seen in the past but um, there'll be some great racing mm. and mark you what are you up to mate you going uh, i'll be uh dave and i'll be joined at the hip we'll be doing some ambassador work for iron man there and helping out with a lot of the events and um, just just so I, i'm excited about it you know again it's there there are not going to be that many really really big races this year as we've seen so mm. just the fact that there is going to be a 70.3 world championship is is really cool so that's my next adventure i know i'm jealous of you guys going well guys mark dave thanks so much for your time guys and coming on i really appreciate all the stories and for everybody else you can find the show notes uh timestamps links and coupon codes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media thanks everybody for listening this was fantastic thanks guys thanks great see you next time see ya thanks a lot for listening to be with champions if you enjoyed the show your support would truly be appreciated you can visit the be with champions patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice don't miss the next episode so subscribe and be notified For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.